So how is everybody doing? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to be here because I have been sick all week. How many of you have had the flu that's going around? That's kind of a weird question to ask because if you have had it, you're probably not here. Uh, you're probably home in bed trying to get over it. But we've had, like, we, last Sunday, we, uh, my, son and my, my, my girls were home with my wife. My son and I came to church. My son, we got, then we came back from, <coughs> pardon me, then we came back from church, and my son had a fever, and then he got the flu. Then my youngest daughter got the flu, because she had something different. And then my oldest daughter got the flu, then I got the flu, then my wife got the flu. So it's kind of going round robin in our house. I'm repenting of things I've never even done. But it's just like, God, I will let your people go. But please, please, I, we got we to get over this flu thing. I, I wasn't even born, but I was, I was saying sorry for the Kennedy assassination. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know if I was involved, but I'm sorry. Uh, and anyway, so, um, but how many of you were here last week when we started this series? Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And you came back for another round. Okay, good for you. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. Well, about 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I were in Boston, <coughs> pardon me, we're in Boston uh, visiting my family. Uh, as some of you know, I grew up in Boston, so we were there for Thanksgiving visiting them, and it was time to return, so we had gone back towards the airport. We dropped off the car at the rental car area, and the way it works at Logan Airport in Boston is that all the rental car stuff is off-site, so then you, you drop the car off, and then you take a shuttle back in. So we drop off the car, we take the shuttle uh, we take get all of our suitcases, and then um, we get on the shuttle. We get off the shuttle. We get to security um, so, as, so we can meet our friends at TSA, which, as you know, TSA stands for thousands standing around. And, um, and so anyway, <coughs> we were there, and um, she, uh, so my wife says, uh, uh-oh, um, I, I don't have my purse, which means I don't have my driver's license, which means I'm not getting on this plane. And I said, well, what happened? So I called my sister because uh, we were staying at her house. I'm like, hey, is, is Carrie's purse there? No. And I'm like, do you remember, when do you remember having it? Oh, well, I had it. I had it when we dropped off the car. And I thought I remembered it when we got on the shuttle. <coughs> but I don't remember taking it off the shuttle. And you got to understand, Logan Airport is one of the busiest airports in, uh, in, in, in the country. And so there's like 12 shuttles for each uh, at least 12 uh, these shuttles that are just going around all the time. So I, we get out of the security line. I go to the Enterprise kiosk, and I explain to the guy what happened. He's like, listen, there's no way for me to call uh, anybody and find out. And I said, well, you have a walkie-talkie. Um, call them. And he says, no, that's, we have rules. And I said, well, I don't, I, I'm not partial to any of those rules. Um, so why don't you just, anyway, through my powers of persuasion, I, I talk the guy into giving me the walkie-talkie. <clears throat> so I get on there, and I'm like, you know, breaker, breaker, one, nine. This is stagecoach. And I'm, anyway, I've always wanted to do that. And so I call, and I'm like, listen, I'm about to get on this plane, and uh, my wife left her purse. This is what it looks like. I need all of you to pull over and look. Anyway, well, one guy, he says, hey, I have it, but I'm, on, but I'm almost back to the rental car lot. <clears throat> and I said, well, no problem. Just stay there. So I, and I said, but you cannot leave until you find me, until I find you. I'll be there in a few minutes. So I give the guy back his walkie-talkie. I hop back on another shuttle, and I take it back to the rental car lot. I get out of the shuttle. I find the guy who has my wife's purse. Then I explain to him that I need him to give me a ride back. 
And he's like, well, I'm supposed to wait for a certain amount of time. And I'm like, we don't have time for that. I ha- I'm going to miss my flight. So the guy says, well, okay. So he closes it, me and like two other people, and he drives me straight to the airport. And then I get out of the airport. I mean, I get out of the shuttle, <clears throat> and I want you to just picture me now running full speed, trying to get to security with my wife's purse over my shoulder. And, uh, and I'm just going for it. I've never felt more manly than running through the airport with my wife's purse uh, over my shoulder. And by the way, this is why I always rent from Enterprise, uh, because they accommodate crazy people. And, uh, so, and they, they've always accommodated me. And, um, but I'll tell you why I never felt as manly as I did that day. Because when I showed up with my wife's purse, <coughs> she just she thought I was a hero. And she just couldn't believe it. And she's like, you know, I, I, I didn't think you were going to find it. Or I didn't think that, I thought something, we were going to miss our flight, and I thought you were going to be mad, and I was none of those things, and we did make our flight, and all of that stuff, and, uh, and it was just, it, it, was, it was a heroic moment, one of those moments that every husband longs for, is, you know, when, when your wife looks at you, and she's like, there's no one I trust, no one I love, no one I respect more than you. But what I have found is this, is that that respect Um, that love, that trust, doesn't come from just the big heroic things that we do. Um, It comes from the million little things that we do as as husbands. And and here's the thing that guys tell me all the time, and that I remember feeling the same way um, 20 years ago when I asked my wife to marry me. And that is, um, the thing that guys tell me, the thing that I remember is, I don't know how to be a husband. I grew up in a home without a dad. And so I've never seen the interaction between um, a, a healthy husband and wife. <coughs> and that's my story as well. I mean, I grew up, uh, my dad, my mom and my dad were divorced before my first birthday. Um, and my mom remarried uh, when I was about seven. And my stepdad was not a bad guy. He was a hardworking guy. Uh, but a good husband, he was not. And so we look for instruction on how to be a good husband. And we end up with some amalgamation of dads that we see on TV and uh, advice that people have given us. And then we, uh, we become Christians and then we look to the Bible and there's some verses about being a good husband and that helps. But what I want to do is show you something that I think is vital to this conversation. And that is, um, in the beginning, and, and the, what we've been looking at for this entire series uh, is the very first couple, the very first marriage. Um, and that in Genesis, when God brings Eve to Adam, he doesn't give Adam any instructions. And that, I think, is just, to me, is extremely profound. Why does he not give Adam any instructions on how to be a husband? It's because God already expects Adam to know what to do. You say, well, why is that? It's because God had already taught Adam how to be a gardener. <clears throat> you see, the text that we're going to look at today in uh, Genesis chapter 2 is not just the text that God gives Adam a job. Because the Bible says that God creates Adam and then he puts him in paradise in this garden. And I want you to look at what it says in verse 15 of chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And so God brings Adam, the woman of his dreams, and he's expecting Adam to use the same principles that he uses to take care of this garden that he would do to, to tend, care for, and protect his wife. And so what I want to do in our time together is I want to look at uh, and work through three ways that Adam uh, loved his wife through simply being the gardener of their relationship. 
And I want to say a couple of things. I want to say three things. <coughs> the first is this, and that is that um, I'm doing my, ver- I'm sorry if uh, I'm getting over this sickness and cough. So I'm going to keep my hacking to a minimum. And so sometimes there's going to be moments where I stop and take a sip of water. And so, so that there is no lull, if you don't mind, we did this in the first service and it worked out really well. If I would, whenever I say something and then I take a sip of water, if you would clap, um, it actually makes it go by faster. So if we can just test that right now. <sighs> Thank you. I'm really good at this. I'm so good at taking sips. Anyway, so if we just do that throughout, I appreciate that. Um, the second thing is this, is that guys, because um, we're going to be focusing on the guys today and talking to husbands. Um, guys, I want to tell you this, and that is that my goal is not to beat you up. My goal is not to make you feel bad. I don't know of a husband um, who doesn't love his wife and who wouldn't give his life for his wife if the need arose. The problem is, is that there's a whole bunch of other things about being a husband that nobody ever taught us. Some of us, you know, we didn't have a dad around. Many of us didn't have a dad around. And many of us, uh, even if we did have a dad, he didn't teach us these things. Because for some reason, it's the thing that fathers don't teach those things to sons anymore. And uh, so I want to walk through these things together. And ladies, <coughs> here's the thing that I would share with you. And that is, you can't use this message to beat your husband up. All right? You can't buy copies of the CD um, and put it in his sandwich. Because, by the way, it's not going to taste good. Um, and so you can't be like, you know, well, Pastor Bob said or Pastor Bob does or whatever. You can't, you can't do that. Um, because it's going to make him feel like a failure as a husband, and it's, it's, it's going to make me seem like better than I actually am, which I'm not. I'm a fellow struggler together uh, with all of us trying to be good husbands, trying to be better husbands. And so what I want to do is that, uh, you know, all of us, husbands and wives, we are all works in progress. That's why we're here. We want to get better. We want to be better husbands. We want to be better wives. We want to be, um, be happier. We want to be the better half. And so... Um, so I want to, us to just come to this with an open heart, allow God to speak to us um, as we work together. Can we all, we all agree on that? I'm going to take a sip of water so that I emphasize that. Okay, that was a trick. That one was a trick because I wanted you to really agree to the thing I said, but I knew the sip of water would work. So, <clears throat> all right, so let's get to work. All right, number one, what does it mean for Adam to be the gardener of his marriage? All right, the first is this. A godly husband delights in his wife. He delights in his wife. That's what the name Eden means. The name Eden means delight. And and the Bible actually commands husbands to be delighted in their wives. And I'm going to show you where. It says this in Proverbs chapter 5. It says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always with her love. <clears throat> now, some of you didn't know. You were living in victory uh, in that verse. You're like, I had no idea. First of all, I had no idea that was in the Bible, and I had no idea I was living in victory. I am delighted by, you know, you're thinking, I am delighted by my wife's breasts. Check that off. Boom, living 100% according to God's word for that verse. Boom. So give yourself a point. If you're delighting in that, those, depending, you know, situation, uh, check yourself off, and I'm going to move on before I get into trouble. 
Because my wife is still sick and she's not here. And whenever she's not here is when I get into trouble. Because what happens is, is that she usually sits back over here. And so I'll be about to say something, one of the more crazier things that I say. And then I'll see her. And then I'll be like, you know, it's kind of, it's like I was saying, moving on. And uh, so, you know, she is the voice of reason in my life <coughs> and the voice of God um, sometimes. Anyway, so what, what, why do I say this? Is because women have a fundamental question that they're asking. Men have a very different question. We're talking about that too. But women have a fundamental question that they're asking. And here's the question. It is, am I lovely? That, that's the question that, that she's asking. That's the question that your wife is asking, is, am I lovely? Uh, guys, there is a reason why a woman will walk into a closet full of clothes and then use, say these words, I have nothing to wear. It's like, hold on, do you see them? Because I, I can touch them. They're really, it's not, that's not an illusion, hologram, that's all real stuff. The problem, it's not that she doesn't have anything to wear. It's that she doesn't have anything to wear that makes her feel beautiful. And so because there's nothing that makes her feel lovely, she says, I don't have anything to wear. <coughs> Guys are asking a different question. Guys are asking this question, do I have what it takes? And because a guy is constantly asking, asking the question, am I a real man? That's why, um, ladies, sometimes you don't understand, like, why do men do so many stupid things? And as I, I don't understand. Why does a man, like, not, you know, he doesn't get a ladder. Instead, he decides to scale the side of your house like Spider-Man. Uh, and it's like, I'm going to do this. Well, what, 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 how are you going to, no, but I have, like, sticky tape. And I'm going to see if I can, you know. And there's just, I'm telling you, it's like, well, I got to get on the roof. So what do I do? Well, I don't have, I don't have a ladder to get on the roof, but here's what I, here's what I can do. I'll take two small ladders and then I will put a third ladder on top. And then I have masking tape and then a small child can hold the bottom. And then now if it works, here's the thing, the stuff doesn't work half the time, but when it works, now he's got a story to tell about how he didn't have a ladder, but it didn't matter. He still conquered the roof. And, that's, and, and you say, that is madness. It's the same kind of madness as walking into a closet full of clothes and saying, I have nothing to wear. It, of course it's madness, but it's just the question that we're asking. My son does not, my son is six and a half years old. He measures his strength not based on other six-year-olds. He does not base his strength on his sister who is eight or his sister who is four, or his mom. He measures his strength based on his ability to inflict pain on me. That's why when my son sees me, <coughs> the first thing that he does, this is how I wake up in the morning. The first thing that my son does is punch me. The first thing that he does to his mom is hug her, kiss her, and tell her how beautiful she is. And, and then, and then to his sister, it's like, hey, what's up, you know. But when he's talking, when, when he comes up to me, he's punching me, and his goal in life is to inflict some kind of pain on me. Because if he can hurt me in some way, now he feels strong. And because he is gauging his strength based on his dad. Because he himself, even at six years old, is asking the question, do I have what it takes? You see, <coughs> women are asking if they're lovely, and they want to know if their husbands find them lovely. 
And guys, when you delight in your wife, you know what the cool thing is, is that it's no secret. One of the things that the staff tell my wife, they, they tell Carrie this, because my wife comes by a couple times a week, and uh, they say this. They'll say, you know, Bob is very different when you're here. And they're like, and, she, and my wife's like, what do you mean? He's like, better behaved. And, uh, and they're like, well, maybe. Um, but they said, but here's what we've noticed. And th- this, is, this is what they say. They say, Bob is happier when you're here. Bob laughs more. He smiles more. He's nicer. And uh, he's just, he is, he's almost giddy when you're here. And you know why that is? Is because I delight in my wife. She is my delight. And so guys say, well, how do I, how do I, how do you delight in your wife? And here's how you do it. You become a student of your wife. Now, here's one of the things you have to know about my wife. (coughs) Pardon me. And that is, my wife is the healthiest eater in the world. I mean, I don't know anyone who eats healthier than her. I don't know anyone who takes more vitamins uh, than her. I once gave my wife, someone, uh, I, I helped a friend of mine. Uh, at his church, and they gave me a, uh, a, a gift card for 100 bucks. Um, and I gave it to my wife, and you know what she did? She spent 100 bucks on vitamins. And I'm like, that is the worst. If I knew you were going to do that, I wouldn't have given it to you. I would have bought myself a drone, uh, which has way more uses than vitamins. And, uh, and she's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people that at your funeral. Um, so anyway, so my wife is this really healthy eater. And so when my wife wants to go nuts, I mean, she's like going to go off the reservation um, and she's, she's going to eat. Like she, the other day she went to Publix and she's like, I've been eating so well, I'm going to eat bad today. <coughs> she bought grape nut cereal. And I'm like, you know, you are the worst junk food purchaser in the hist. You give us a bad name. As a person who is a spokesperson for junk food worldwide, you're just, that's not junk food. If you're buying food, and I said, let me guess, you looked at different cereals, and you had another one in your hand, and then you're like, yeah, but this one has more fiber. That's what you did. And she's like, that is what I did. (laughs) Yeah, I know you. I know you. And so, so we've been sick all week. My wife asked me to go to the store and buy her some cough medicine. And so, uh, my son, by the way, (coughs) <coughs> he's get, he's, he was sick. He's here today. But he says, he's like, um, it's like this, I had like this godfather moment. He's like, Dad, come here. Paisan, come here. Anyway, and so he's like, Dad, can you get something for me? And I'm like, sure, chain smoker. What is it? Um, and, he's, and he says, I need you to go to the bakery. And can you get, go, go to the counter. Tell them you want a free cookie from the kids club and I'm like Xander I am a 40 year old man they don't give out cookies to men in their 40s from the kids club he's like tell them it's for me they don't have a policy of picking them up by proxy and so nonetheless (coughs) I go there and uh, I just bought him I I just bought some cookies because I didn't want to have that conversation so I get home and one of the things that Carrie's mom used to do uh, whenever she was sick, is that she would buy her uh, a magazine. And so that's been one of my things that I've always done is whenever Carrie's sick and I go to the store for her, um, I buy her a magazine and uh, as kind of carrying on that, that little bit of care. And, uh, and, so, and then I bought her a thing that I knew she would never buy. She loves it, but she would never buy it for herself because she would feel too guilty and blah, 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 is I bought her this Entenmann's 
coffee crumb cake. Now, are you, are you people into that? Really, I'm not into that, right? <coughs> I'm into the Entenmann's chocolate cake with the chocolate frosting and chocolate other stuff on the bottom. And, and, and then I just eat it straight out of the tin, you know, because it's one layer. So really, it's like a personal serving. And so anyway, but I bought... <laughs> But I bought, I didn't buy that for myself. I just bought her the coffee crumb cake. So I bought her the magazine, the coffee crumb cake. And, uh, and I'm like, listen, and I gave it to her. And I'm like, listen, I know it's not healthy. And if you want, I'll return it. And my wife's wearing pajamas and this sweatshirt. And uh, she, she picks up the coffee crumb. I'm like, if you want, I'll return it. And she puts it, you know, she has it here. She puts it in it. She goes, no, it's staying, you know. <laughs> so, but here's how, here's how that is. It's just, and, and it's always, you know, how did you know? Why? Because my goal is to become a student of my wife. That's why the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says to dwell with your wife according to understanding. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you this, and women will deny this all day long. Your wife is going to tell you, maybe she won't, but I'm thinking most of the time she'll say, I don't know if I agree with him on that. I'm right. Okay? And here's what it is. Um, Your wife doesn't want to tell you what she wants. She wants you to figure it out. Now, what's interesting is women are clapping. Okay. <clears throat> Since you're clapping, I'm going to take a sip of water. Um, because here's what it is. And I, I admit that some, and it's, it's because there is this, I want you, I don't want to just tell you, I want you to figure me out. Because if you figure me out, it's one of the ways that you show me that you love me and that you're paying attention. And see, um, now, I, I tell you this because, once again, in figuring it out, it shows that you're paying attention to the garden that God has entrusted to you. Now, here's the thing is that sometimes, and, and I say this <coughs> because sometimes you can, you can hear that and be like, oh, man, Bob's really got to figure it out. Listen, I'm an idiot, and I told you that last time. Sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I miss it completely, and so I figure I'd tell you a story about me getting it wrong uh, and it, so that the guys are like, you know what, maybe this guy isn't, you know, doesn't think he's all that. And uh, um, a few months ago, my, my wife got sick. Uh, that's what happens when you are the primary caregiver for three kids. The kids pick up all kinds of stuff, and then they give that back to you. That's their gift to you, is all these little microbes. Um, so she, she got sick, and she went to the doctor. And um, <coughs> I was here at church all day. I had a full, totally full day of appointments and meetings. And um, so I got, she went to the doctor and then came home. I got home later that afternoon and we hadn't spoken all day um, since the morning. I came home and I had just gotten the news that Calvary had been named the fifth fastest growing church in America, uh, according to Outreach Magazine. And I came home and I was, I, I was elated about the news and what God was using all of us. And, and I mean, I was just going on and on about that and, and uh, you know, 15 years of hard work and starting with five people. And I mean, I was just, ta- I, I, I was going on and on about it. And, um, and here's what I never did. I never asked her about her doctor's appointment. I never asked her about how she was feeling. And I never asked her if there was anything I could do for her. And uh, you're like, hey, did that cause problems? What do you think? Um, and so, why? And you say, yeah, but it was a good thing. And it's, no, but see, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I am the gardener. And I neglected my responsibility to delight in my garden. And you know what happens when you delight in your wife? She will begin to delight in you. 
<coughs> in Song of Solomon chapter 3, the Shulamite woman, the woman who ends up marrying Solomon, says about him, she says, I found him in whom my soul delights. So listen, a godly husband delights in his wife. The second thing that a godly husband does, uh, according to the verses that we the verse that we read uh, in, in Genesis 2.15 is that a godly husband serves his wife. There's two things that God told Adam to do as the gardener uh, in Eden. He was told to tend it and he was told to keep it. And in Hebrew, that word tend means to cultivate and to serve. That is to recognize the needs of the garden and cause it to flourish. Because guys, um, a good marriage is not something that you find. A good marriage is something that you cultivate. Um, and let me explain it this way. Uh, my family, we moved into our house, the house we live in now, about three years ago. <coughs> Prior to that, uh, we lived in a smaller house uh, for about eight years previous to that. We, we moved about seven blocks from where we, where we used to live. And in my old house, um, I had tried so many times um, in the front of the house to plant flowers. And I would get soil, I would buy flowers, and then... I would, um, and, and I would spruce things up, and it would look great. And then a week later, everything was dead, which led me to believe that this house was built on an Indian burial ground. And uh, so there was like something was haunted because nothing could grow whatever, wherever I, I planted it. So anyway, eventually I moved. I didn't tell the new people about the you know, burial ground. for you. They can deal with that. Call a priest. Um, <coughs> and so nonetheless, we move into the new house. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spruce it up. I'm going to get some flowers and whatnot. I buy some flowers. Sure enough, in a week, it's dead. And I think the burial ground extended another seven blocks. You know, I can't believe this. Um, and, and here was the problem. And this is what I learned. I was under the impression that gardening was a one-time activity. And uh, through a friend, um, I, there was a landscaper who came to our house and wanted to help us uh, do some la- redo our landscaping. <coughs> so he comes over and... Um, he re- kind of redesigns, uh, you know, sketches out. This is what I'd like to do. And I say, okay, here's what I want to do. Let's rip it all out, burn it, and then start over. Let's cleanse it with fire, and then we'll re- we will rebuild. I mean, that, and he's like, why would you want to do that? And he's like, you have beautiful plants. They just need some love. And, uh, and he's like, this, all of this, is like, you know, Bob, this is not, uh, no disrespect, but this is just, this is all neglect. Um, and he's like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to come in. We're going to take out all the old soil. We're going to put in new soil. We're going to put in some new plants. We're going to replant the older stuff that you have. <coughs> Trim that stuff up, and it's going to look beautiful. And then he gives me instructions on how to care for it. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, um, for the next 30 days, you're going to come out, and you're going to physically water it. You're going to drench this in water for the next 30 days. Then you're going to set your sprinklers to turn on three to four times a week, and water this zone. Uh, then once a week, you're going to come out and you're going to pull all the weeds. And uh, and and and, my, and then I, I'm listening to him. I'm like, hey man, do you do marriage counseling? Um, because this is exactly what I've been telling people for 20 years. Um, and, and and this is why because marriage is gardening. You see, sometimes we think, man, well, I'd be happier with somebody else. You wouldn't be happy with somebody else. You've just got to cultivate the garden. You've got to do the things that draw you closer together. And, and, and this is what God put the man in charge of, tending his garden and tending to the garden that is his wife. So let's talk practical. How do you cultivate the garden of your marriage? Here's the first one. Um, there's three I'm going to tell you. Here's the first one. 
You spend time with God together. You spend time with God together. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, that is, set her apart for special things and cleanse her (coughs) with the washing of water by the word. This means you spend time together reading God's word. Now, guys, this does not mean that you've got to like preach sermons to your wife, which is good because your wife does not want to hear your sermons. I am a pastor and I've been preaching for a long time and I am, my wife is not interested in us, you know, we're laying in bed at night and I give my opening illustration. I have three points about, what, you know, she's not interested in that. But what she is interested is in us reading scripture together, praying together and centering our lives on uh, the person of Jesus and on the walk that God has for us together as a couple. And so, uh, just so you know, just to be real proud, here's, here's like, so how, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like for my wife and I. Um, we have a devotional in the Psalms that, we, that we're reading through this year. <clears throat> and so, we will read the Psalm. We will read uh, the comments that the author has about the Psalm. And then we pray together. Then what? That's it. Then you can go about your business. Um, and we do this in the evening because, you know, it's like after we put the kids to bed and it's not total madness in our house. But listen, a healthy garden grows by putting in good soil. And the soil of God's word needs to get, needs to get in there so you can grow deep into the word of God, into knowing who God is. And once again, the closer that you draw to him, the closer that you will draw to each other. So the first is to spend time with God together. The second is to spend quality time together, just the two of you. if you're going to have a garden, when you're planting, you need to dig roots uh, so that they can grow deep. And in a relationship, that means you've got to take time together to talk. That means time without the kids, where you're alone, and you can talk about what's happening in your lives right now, what you like and don't like, and where you want to go in the future. Uh, I love what the Shulamite woman, the woman who marries Solomon in the Song of Solomon, what she says. She tells Um, She tells Solomon this. She says, catch the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. You see, the little foxes are all the things that come in and ruin the garden. And most of the time, once again, there are kind of the big things that can destroy relationships, but most relationships aren't destroyed because of that stuff. Most relationships erode because of a whole lot of little things that get get left undone. Um, When we were building this building, <clears throat> and, and once again, I don't, it's not something I talk about, but um, I spent probably the last four months practically living here. Um, I would come home to sleep, uh, and that's it. And I would sleep for probably about three, four hours, and then I would be back here uh, the, the next day. And the last four months was, you know, 100-hour weeks um, getting this done. And then when everything would shut down here, I would go back to the office and I would do, you know, work on writing messages and all the other, you know, pastor stuff that, you know, we, we do um, during the week. And, and what happened was this, is that over the course of time, and then we moved in and it was grand opening and all kinds of crazy things happening. And, uh, and when we finally came up for air, I realized that my wife and I had not been out alone together in seven months. And, and you say, man, well, you know, why are there some weeds in the garden because the gardener taught me something he said you got to go out once a week and pull the weeds i hadn't pulled the weeds in, t- in seven months so what do you think was going to happen as now you know 28 weeks 30 weeks go by 
and uh, there's, there, there's, there's a whole lot of weeds that are in the garden that we've got to deal with. And I remember that time that we went out, <coughs> because your kids will, will say this to you, that, that, like, hey, we're going to go out. Well, your kids want to go out too. They're like, hey, hey can, I, can I come? My daughter said that to me. My eight-year-old daughter said, hey, hey, we're going to go out. Hey, can I go too? No. <laughs> Don't you love me? I do. Not as much as I love your mom, but I do. Um, and, and, and yet, what happens is, and, 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 I, remember, and I remember telling her, um, and, um, and I remember we were in the kitchen, right? And I, I knelt down, and I was like, Mia, um, no, you can't go. But uh, here's, here's the thing. The most important thing that we can give you, uh, that your mom and I can give you, is for your mom and I to have a happy and healthy marriage. And we haven't been out in seven months. And my daughter looked at me. She's like, seven months? <laughs> like, what kind of a loser husband are you? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I'm like, we haven't been out in seven months. She's like, oh. And she puts her hand on my shoulder. And she's like, yeah, you need to go out with your wife. <laughs> and I'm like, well, thank you for that, Dr. Phil. Uh, <clears throat> hold on. Since you were laughing, let me just do this real quick. Thank you. And so, and that's because when you don't go out, when you don't get out there and pull the weeds, you know what happens? Eventually the weeds overtake the garden. And this is what happens in many marriages. It's not that the beauty of the garden is gone. There's just a lot of weeds. There's pain, there's hurt, there's misunderstanding and all those things that now need to be worked through. And so you prevent this by, by going out. Listen, and I would just encourage you, you know, if you guys can figure it out at least every other week to go out and then maybe, um, then you say, well, we don't have money to go out all the time, then just try to go out twice a month. And then on the, uh, the other week, just try to do something at home. You, maybe you put the kids to bed a little bit early and then you just do, you just do something at home. <coughs> and maybe it's, oh, we're going to eat outside, you know, when it's not 8,000 degrees out. Um, and you just try to figure, you just try to figure something, but something that just, hey, we're setting apart, setting some time apart just for us for a season. And the thing that I would say is, guys, we need to be the initiator. We need to be the one that, because we are the gardener, we need to be the one who makes the dinner reservation or buys the tickets to the show or the movie or whatever it is and makes the plan because we did this when we were dating. And now we need to be even more intentional now that we have been entrusted with the garden. Uh, that is our spouse, that is our marriage. And now, um, which leads me to the next thing. Um, and the third is this in your notes, and that is chase your wife, not the wind. Um, here's what I mean by that. Most of us, and I'm talking to the guys, <coughs> most of us get our accolades from outside the home. You get your awards, raises, bonuses, promotions, all of that happens in your career. But see, we aren't called to chase those things. In fact, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he says this. He says, I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, and it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. You see, <coughs> typically a man will chase his wife until he gets her. And then once he gets her, he starts chasing his career. And when the wife realizes that he's not chasing me anymore, she starts chasing the kids and finding her identity and being uh, a mom. And that works for a while. But eventually the trouble begins. And the challenge that we have is that, you know, men, uh, so often we find our identity in our work. You know, you know, say, hey, my name is Bob. I'm a husband and a father. Great to meet you. Um, no, most people don't introduce me. Hey, have you met Bob? Bob is a dad to three kids. 
and they're all still alive. You know, I mean, they're all, they all, you know, he hasn't messed it up yet. You know what I mean? Has, you know, he's, 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 there, there is a woman who will tolerate him for more than two consecutive seconds, if you can believe that. He's been married for all this time. That's not how we get introduced. We get introduced, this is my name, and this is what I do. And most of us have this, and, and the problem is, and that's why when we find our identity and what we do rather than who we are, that we are children of God, that we are loved by Him, and that we don't have to do anything to earn that love. But when we get that flipped, now our identity becomes in what we can produce. And I'm only of value and I'm only of worth if I can produce the thing that I, um, that I think gives me meaning. And see, the thing that my gardening friend was trying to teach me when uh, he told me, you got to do this, you got to do this every other day. What he's trying to do is get me to care, to see myself as the gardener. See, I was telling him, like, <coughs> and this was my thing. Here's what, he's like, what kind, of, what kind of landscaping do you want? I want something where I don't have to do anything. That's what I told him. Listen, how, you know, what kind of marriage do you want? I want one that just kind of, like, runs itself. We don't sell those, right? Those aren't available. Um, the only ones that are available are the ones where we see ourselves as responsible, and that's why the husband has to be the initiator because he is the gardener. She is your garden, so you tend and cultivate the garden that God has entrusted to you. Last thing I want to show you, um, and that is number three, and that is that a godly husband gives life to his wife. There's two passages I want to show you uh, to build this idea. When Adam first sees his wife, now, you've got to understand the scene is that Adam um, hasn't never seen a woman before. They didn't exist. And so God creates this woman, and this naked woman, and presents her to Adam. And that's why <coughs> he's like, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I mean, this is the part that's like, you know, the first thing he does, he starts reciting poetry. And it's like, because that's really what it is, is that this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I mean, this is such poetic language. And I'm like, wow, this guy really is setting the bar high. Um, and so, um, but, but I want you to notice what he says. He says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, uh, the word man in Hebrew is the word ish. And so what he says is, she's going to be called woman. The Hebrew word is isha. What he does is essentially gives her his name. If you ever wonder, why is it that um, women take on the husband's last name when they get married? This is the reason why. Because the gift that the husband gives, this wo- God creates this woman <coughs> and then brings her to Adam. And he says, what? Because he's named everything. But then he says, for her, I'm going to give her my name. Because we are equal. We are, com- we are, we are uh, comparable together. We are made from the same stuff and we're going to be together. We're going to be one. And so that's why they have the same name. You see, um, but then he gives her a special name. In chapter three of Genesis, he does this. It says in Genesis chapter three, verse 20, it says in your notes, it says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The name Eve means life. And that's the name that he gave his wife, life. Now, I want you to understand something. <coughs> this happened after the, the, the fall. 
The name that he gives her happened after the failure in the garden, after she was deceived, after God had placed a curse on the earth. And instead of giving her a name that spoke of her past, God gave, or Adam gave her a name that spoke of her future because her name was life. But the name that he gave her in and of itself was life-giving. Hey, that past failure, that's not who you are. What you are is your future. That every single person who lives on this planet will be related to you, will come from you, so to speak. You see, my question is, what name are you giving your wife? What does your wife believe about herself because of you? What are the words that you speak to her? I mean, are they words of life? Are they words that build her up, that are shaping her into the person that she's becoming? Because the loudest voice in her life, husband, is you. The, same, the opposite is true. The loudest voice in, in a husband's life is his wife. And guys, I would just encourage you, you just make a commitment to say, I'm just going to compliment my wife every day about something. <clears throat> I'm going to compliment my wife and I'm going to tell her that she's beautiful. That's, that's my, one of my rules. Um, and, and my hope is, is that if you tell her that enough, she'll begin to believe it. Why? Because it's true. Because it's the garden that you're tending. Because all of us know the importance of what a word spoken at the right time can do. You know, Tuesday was a particularly bad day for me. I had to cancel all my appointments um, for, the most, for most of the week. Um, I wasn't able to teach at our team rally, which is one of, our, one of my favorite things to do, is to invest in the people who invest so much uh, serving here at Calvary. And um, everyone in my house was sick, and I, I was headed to Publix to buy some medicine. I had 103 fever, and I was bummed out, and I was saying to myself, 2016 has not turned out so far the way that I was hoping that it would. And I tell my six-year-old son um, that I'm leaving for a few minutes, and uh, I say, buddy, I'm going to go to the store, and I'll, I'll be back. And, uh, and he says, hey, Dad. And he said, what? And he says, you're a good man. What? And he says, Dad, you're a good man, and I am honored to be your son. And I was so moved by that. And I, I said, Zan, you, you have no idea how much that means to me. And I knelt down and I hugged him. And uh, he put his arm around me. He says, Dad, it's no problem, man. You're good people. You're good people. <coughs> and guys, here's the thing. Your wife is looking for you to tend the garden. And part of how you tend the garden is the words that you use. When your wife changes her hairstyle, listen, she doesn't tell you because she wants you to notice. And when you notice, you've got to say more than, oh, you look nice. Your wife is not your grandmother. All right? So what does the haircut do? You've got to talk about what the haircut does. Hey, I love how you cut your, I love the haircut because it accentuates your eyes. Oh, I, I, you changed the hair, the, the, the color. <clears throat> because, and, and you know, and now that really accentuates the tone of your skin, whatever it is. Because one of the things, um, and guys, this is hard for us, and I, this is hard for me, but we have to kind of put ourselves in their world sometimes. Women are forced to live in up to impossible standards. Um, she wants to be a great mom, and that's next to impossible. Um, and every time that our kids fail, 
she feels responsible for it. Maybe even more than they do. Um, your, your, your wife feels like a loser every time she opens up the Pinterest app on her phone. She feels like a loser. Um, I don't even know why she goes on that. It's like a self-esteem destroyer. Uh, and it's like you go on there and it's like, oh, here's all the ideas for a kid's birthday party. And it's like, oh, wow. I bought all the stuff at Party City. I didn't know I was supposed to make it all out of old pallets and recycled cardboard. And I don't even know how to do that. Well, if you really love your kids, then you would. You know, and, 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 it, you know, and it becomes that. Every time she goes to the supermarket, she feels inadequate because of all those Photoshop celebrities on the cover of magazines. And listen, <coughs> and we can say, yeah, but th- that's not real. And she knows it's not real, and you know it's not real, but in her mind, she's thinking that's the standard that he wants. And I feel like I don't live up to that. And then culture says she has to be a career woman. And so now she's got to be perfect at home, exceptional at work. She's got to have a perfect 10 body even after she's had children. And by the way, those children have to be impeccably behaved. And listen, guys, here's the thing. Everyone is taking. We need to be the ones who are giving. The ones who are tending the garden. The ones who are telling her to slow down the ones who jump in and help when things get overwhelming, the one who's speaking words of life to her, the one who's telling her that she is perfect just the way that she is. Because guys, you don't find a great marriage. You cultivate a great marriage by being the gardener that God has called you to be. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for who you've called us to be. And Lord, we know we need help. And we thank you that you modeled for us who the perfect husband is. Your son Jesus showed us that. But Lord, our prayer is that you would help us in our marriages, husbands and wives together, to honor you, to glorify you, that we would be the kind of couples that you've called us to be. Lord, I know that there are hurts, there are hang-ups, there are pains that have happened. There, there are experiences that have taken place, and I pray that you would begin the healing process even now. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a supernatural love for the one that you've entrusted to us. We pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.